Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the fee-for-service podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today's guest, Dr. Paul Mickley, M-I-K-H-L-I. A fantastic story. How he went from being basically born and raised in Cleveland to Ohio State Dental School. Then he went to oral surgery, and after three months, they changed the game on him. He had to pivot. He had to find spots. He has a wife and family and kids. Then he had to relocate. He always knew fee-for-service was the type of practice he wanted. And then he bought one in 2008. And then he's grown that from a $750,000 practice to a $4 million juggernaut called Beachwood Dental. You don't want to miss this store, this show. It's a great show. Our show is sponsored by Kettenbach. Thank you, Kettenbach. Imagine one product for every cementation protocol. It's now available. It's a hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup material. That's right. It's a cement and a core. So the name is the Salus Sem Core. Works with all substrate and all restorative designs. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbach's all-in-one adhesive cement and core buildup system, the Salus Sem Core. Call Kettenbach at 877-532-2123 or visit Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-Dent.us. Talk to Dan. Tell him I sent you. He'll take care of you. It's a great company. Sit back and enjoy the show. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. we got a great guest with us today, someone who's been a nice participant over the years in the Facebook group. And has a great story. I've been kind of after him for a little while. I'll be honest with you. I've been pursuing him a little bit like a little puppy dog, I think. And I think I finally got him to cave. And uh, he's he's gladly agreed to share all his wealth of knowledge at a young age. I can't wait. This is very exciting. His name is Paul Mickley. It's spelled M-I-K-H-L-I. And a little bit of background on Paul. He was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Believe land. And he went to Yeshiva University, class of 2000, and then Ohio State College of Dentistry 05. So he's a Buckeye. 
So I'm oh, going to bust his chops. I'm going to bust <laughs> his chops a little bit about the Buckeyes and a little bit about, you know, the, the Cleveland Cavs, who I used yeah. to root for heavily. All right. He's OKU Dental Honor Society, ADA, ODA, and Cleveland Dental Society. So let's say ADA, ODA, and CDA. That's kind of cool. Right. An AO mem- dental fraternity member, AACD, purchased his first fee-for-service practice in 2008 in Cleveland, Ohio, and that's going to be a great story. So please welcome Paul. How you doing, man? I'm pretty good. And yourself? Doing great. I've been I've been looking forward to this. It was fun trying to nail down a time, and then once you said, yeah, I'll do this, and I'm like, all right, well, let's work it out, open up the schedule. Let's do it. Let's go. All right. So talk to me about your path into dentistry first. What got you into dentistry? Well, I've wanted to be a dentist since uh, I was, I think, uh, in sixth grade. Um, Interestingly, kind of tying into fee-for-service is one of those things where uh, my grandmother was a dentist back in the former Soviet Union, and uh, my mom is a podiatrist, so both in healthcare. And um, I kind of liked science and math. I knew that I wanted to kind of do something in healthcare. And my mom said, listen, you know, try dentistry because like you don't have to deal with the insurances and stuff like that. Um, or you have the option and stuff. And, and that was, really? and we can, we can kind of do the math backwards, but that was, geez, like late eighties, early nineties when she kind of mentioned that obviously insurance has kind of exploded since then. Um, but uh, it was one, something where I initially decided that the practice I wanted to own was going to be a fee-for-service practice. Um, so kind of knew from an early age I wanted to go into dentistry and uh, really kind of was single-minded since then uh, as far as um, you know, pursuing my career uh, in dentistry. Now, were the sciences and the maths, were they, did they come fairly easy to you or was that a little bit of a work? The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Um, I think that they came fairly natural to me. Uh, it was one of the, I, I'm more of a science and math person and less of like a English history type yeah, person. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I like how you put that came naturally. You didn't say easy. So you're not a bragger. You just kind of came a little more naturally. I was very, very I, humble. I, I like that. I always tell people that the the top people in their class are not the people that are the smartest, that they're people that work the hardest. Yeah. So you, you can right. you can always you'll always have smarter people around you, but uh, you can always outwork the person next to you. Pat Summit, wonderful coach at the University of Tennessee. You don't have to be the smartest person, but you can be the hardest worker. So I yeah. I, I really enjoy that. That's good. That's good. Uh, it's good medicine for the soul. So you went into dentistry. Um, your mom was a podiatrist, you said, and she kind of gave you planted the seeds. Let's say, how about any any other influences in your family? Dads, uncles, anybody uh, else? Yeah, my my dad uh, is a he owns a butcher shop. He likes to call himself an MD, a meat dealer. So, uh, and he says to me, Butchik, if I had more of an education, I would be a surgeon, but I'm a an immigrant, so I'm a butcher. So, you know, uh, so I've kind of been around blood all my life. I yeah, think. right. There you go. It, now, your exactly. grandmother was – so are your roots from Russia then, I'm guessing? Yeah. My, my parents immigrated from the former Soviet Union, kind of very, very uh, western Ukraine, right by the Hungarian border. Um, oh, they my left goodness. Late 70s. Wow. 
um, as Jewish refugees. They were kind of letting some Jews out at that time. And um, my parents, um, uh, very brief time in New York City. That's where most of my dad's family lives right now. And sure. then, uh, but my dad had a cousin, I'm sorry, an uncle and cousins that lived in Cleveland. And they liked uh, Cleveland a little bit more rural, reminded them a little bit more of home. And so they, uh, I don't think they realized how much snow we have here, but, uh, you know, they decided to move here and I was born in Cleveland. I got to ask you a question now that you brought it up. Uh, and then this is a little off track of dentistry, but what do your folks think about what's happened in the Ukraine right now? That must be so troubling. So, uh, you know, this is, I, I might be op opening up a little bit of a can of worms when I say this, but, uh, my father actually, he's like, he, he does, he dislikes both sides. He, he says okay. he kind of feels that, you know, specifically, and, and obviously you can't generalize to everybody, but he feels that back um, in the uh, when he was growing up and, you know, especially when, um, you know, his parents were going through the Holocaust, um, a lot of Ukrainians were even um, uh, more anti-Semitic to Jews than uh, the Germans. And so, well, so the history. Yeah, that's a different history. Yeah. It's kind of sad again, and I hate stereotyping and uh, typing, and I, I don't think that's appropriate. But uh, he's kind but of lived it. He, he's, he right. lived it. He doesn't like Russia, nor does he like Ukraine. So that's um, that's that's like a, between a rock and a hard place. You got thank God he got out of there, huh? Exactly. It's kind of like me seeing when Michigan and Notre Dame play. Like you know, I feel like I really don't care who wins. I hope like some people get injured, but not too bad. <laughs> You're a true Buckeye, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you go to dental school. Now, while in dental school, did any of the specialty programs kind of excite you? Anything get you a little bit like, hey, maybe I'll go this path? The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text FEE4SERVICE to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823. This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit DocSites for more information. What was yeah, up? you know, it, interesting that you bring that up. I, I, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting into this, but like since you mentioned it, I, you know, I'll kind of be brief about the whole thing. I, um, I, I was very interested in oral surgery, and mm -hmm. um, you know, actually got accepted to University of Minnesota for oral surgery. Um, you know, and uh, and and bought a house, moved to Minnesota. Um, when I uh, applied, I talked to the director of the program, and I, I went with my my yarmulke. It was, everybody knew that I was I was observant Jewish, and um, after I matched, I said I have certain restrictions on Friday nights and Saturdays. And um, uh, the director said to me, "Listen, back in his name uh, Noah Sandler, um, he said, uh, you know, I'm Jewish as well and not observant though. But when I was at Pittsburgh doing my residency, they used to call it the Jock Docs, Jews on Christmas call. So he's like, you'll have to do Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, you know, all the holidays and stuff like that, and then you'll get your holidays and, and, and Saturdays and stuff like that. I'm like, I have no problem with that. That's fantastic. I said, put me on call." Twice as much as everybody else. I just have certain my you know religious yeah. you know yeah fair um, enough up front yep yeah he resigned the first week of residency 
And um, the remaining faculty were very against making any accommodations. And and I don't think that it had really anything to do with, you know, um, discrimination. I think that it's it's typical of oral surgery programs that, um, you know, there's there's oral surgery is number one, um, that God is maybe number two, maybe your family's number two, you know, flop those between two and three, and then everything else comes. But oral surgery residency is, is number one, and that has to be number one in your life. And I, I think it was just difficult for them to make any accommodation. And I was, I was asked, quote, unquote, Paul, you have to decide what's more important to you, your religion or oral surgery. And uh, that was, uh, even though difficult, because it was a, I, I worked really hard to get into the program, it was <laughs> not a decision for me to make. And so you're a man, man of principle, man. I give you a lot of credit. I try. And, and, and so then uh, I was in the residency for about three months. You know, I learned a lot during that time, you know, even for three months. And, um, and then uh, after that, uh, you know, left the program and, um, you know, tried to get into other programs. It was just, it, it was an uphill battle. I don't want to get into all the details, but um, uh, I, I kind of mm-hmm. said, the, the challenge is is that one of the reasons I went into oral surgery is because I loved it. The other reason is because it's easier, I felt, to focus on one area of dentistry than to kind of be a general dentist. I mean, as you probably know, being a general dentist, a, a damn good general dentist is hard, very hard. And um, I said, look, maybe one of those missions for me in life is to be the best damn general dentist I can be and really be good at everything that I do and not just limit myself to one area. So... Um, that was kind of my mission since then and uh, stayed in Minnesota for about um, uh, two years and uh, until really? I moved back to Cleveland. Yeah, two years. Wow. I bought a house and it was kind of like my, I moved my family there. Kids were in school and stuff sure. and kind of yeah. like just figuring out what my next step was going to be was just not, you know, the easiest thing. It was kind of like my, I had my, as I kind of said from sixth grade, my life was pretty much planned out for myself. And then this was a big monkey wrench. And so uh, just kind of figure out what the next step was going to be was um, challenging. And uh, But once we made the decision that we were going to move back to Cleveland, both my parents and my in-laws um, uh, live here in Cleveland, um, we decided to make the move. And, um, you know, and then it was kind of like working just a couple places until I found a practice. I think it took about a year until I found a practice to buy. What's so fascinating that everybody's path and journey is different. And if anything, if nothing else, if people get nothing else from this is here's someone who went, you know, went to a specialty program for three months, uprooted, changed his entire life and and those around him. And it didn't work. And rather than sort of cry over spilt milk, he shifted and pivoted, right? to being a super successful doc that he is now. And we'll get to that. But I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I've got a few more questions now based on what you talked about. I just, I find it fascinating. I'm sorry. So, oh, so, so, so you went, so you went to, uh, you went to, to, uh, excuse me, to Minnesota three months in the program. What did you, did you end up getting a job? What did you do now? Licensing in the, in the state, was it simple? Was it hard? Talk a little bit, some yeah. of the challenges now. Licensing was pretty simple. They accepted the NERB. Um, so uh, getting licensed wasn't hard. Um, actually, for a little while, I was like a substitute teacher. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to be doing. So, like, I, I mean, it was kind of like a little bit strange, you know, for me. 
um, I, I, I was like, listen, I have a dental license. I still need to put food on the table and stuff. So um, I ended up applying. Um, I worked for a, a big group practice called Metro Dental. And um, uh, they've got, I think, I, I can't remember if it's 60 dentists or 60 offices around the, the Twin Cities area. There's a big group. And um, I was hired to be their float dentist. So I would go between office to office to fill in for somebody that was on maternity leave, somebody that was sick, somebody sure. that was, I mean, when you have such a big organization like that, <laughs> they needed a float dentist. And um, what I did, because I spent a lot of time like kind of at the corporate um, headquarters, um, which is at their main office, I kind of picked the brains of uh, just all the different office managers and all the different, you know, just trying to learn like the business side of things. So I, I really had a, a really good opportunity as far as understanding how, like I talked to the owners, how did you scale this thing from one office to, to this, you know, big, you know, thing and stuff like that. And so I really kind of learned a lot. Also really picking up my skills at dentistry. Remember, like I, I kind of thought I was going to be doing all surgery. I had to pass all my classes. So I knew how to do, you know, a, a, a class two, you know, prep and stuff like that. But I, when I, once I got accepted into oral surgery, I thought that I was never going to be doing a class two again. So I kind of all had to kind of just get better at that. Um, it, it was really a good learning opportunity. Um, they, um, after about a year and a half, they didn't have a need for me at, um, at that point in time, I knew that I was already moving to Cleveland. I didn't want to, um, uh, to really put the burden on joining a practice that, um, that knew I was going like, and, or not tell them I was going to leave right away. Usually when you hire, you like to hire somebody long-term, not for six months. So, right. um, very hard short term, you know, so what I ended up doing was, uh, I like to tell people I was in prison for six months. Um, I, I took a job at a prison and, um, that was, um, a great learning experience, uh, as well, you know, more so about humanity than I think, um, you know, even, you know, just dentistry. Um, we couldn't see a lot of patients just for the fact that um, every patient had to be seen individually. After uh, each day, you have to spend an hour literally counting every single instrument, every single needle that you had. Like, you know, I remember we spent one day till 7 p.m. We couldn't find a Toffelmeyer matrix holder. It was missing. And we ended up finding up in the Sharps, Sharps container, but we tore garbages apart and everything trying to find it. It was just Again, a diff different type of experience, but um, learned a lot doing that. And, um, you know, then uh, summer of 2007, eight, I can't, 2007, I made my way back to Cleveland. So, so let me ask you now, because I, I'm really kind of getting a really nice, colorful story, uh, you know, background as to how you, you could see how your, your mind is thinking, you know, you're thinking, and you said it early on with your mom saying that you're going to look for a fee-for-service practice. So you're already thinking a little bit more business per se than maybe a typical dentist who's just like, I just want to cut teeth. So talk about when your dad is a small business owner, he's a butcher, right? Right. W were there conversations like at the dinner table about how do you run a business? And, you know, just some of those yeah. things had to, had to infiltrate, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. My dad was a huge influence on me as far as just like learning how to run a small business and stuff like that. I think that he gave me a great foundation, but it was also very hard to break free from his old school mom and pop mentality. Um, right. You know, now my business is much more sophisticated 
than um, than his butcher shop, which he's run for 40 years and, and done so very successfully. But for me, I thought much bigger. And like, you know, for example, I remember the first time I did marketing, he's like, why are you spending money on so wasting money on marketing? People will come because they know you and that's it. And and for me to, you know, say, hey, listen, I need to spend marketing dollars. And I did a lot of radio, still do a lot of radio. Um, uh, it, it's it was something that, you know, he was very critical of me of that. It was hard for me to, you know, kind of listen to that criticism, but kind of realize that I have to forge my own path. And um, and I think until the day he sat in my waiting room and or I'm sorry, we like to call it reception room. Reception area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until he sat there and then two people, there were two new patients. And at the front desk when they were said, how did you hear about our office? And those both of those new patients said radio. He kind of said, you know, you made the right decision. So, you know, it was kind of a little affirmation that, uh, you know, kind of growing past that. And, and today, and we can get at that at some point in time, is that um, I don't run much of my business anymore. I have uh, employees that run my business. Um, I realize my best skills are um, being a, um, a, a dentist and doing the dentistry side and also having working on the vision as far as growth and stuff like that. So I push the growth of the practice and the vision um, and I do the dentistry and really try to make sure that the, the between my associates that the um, caliber of dentistry is, is the level that I want it to be. You're a big picture guy. That's what I like to say. I am a big picture yeah. guy, you know, and, and, and you have, and, and have you created your organizational structure for your business? Uh, yes. Some deliberately, some kind of backed into it, you know, just as kind of mm-hmm. the roles kind of, kind of fell to themselves that way. Sure. Uh, for sure. There's an org chart in my office where I have a clearly defined CFO that does all my analytics, uh, does all the numbers like that. I have a COO, somebody that's really in charge of all the personnel. I have a um, compliance officer that does all the OSHA and any type of compliance that we have. Um, those are very well-defined roles. And you know, th- none of those people do front desk. None of those people do treatment planning. Um, they, they, they don't really interact with patients very much. And, and that's one of the luxuries of having a larger office that we are able to define those roles a little bit clearer. Right. Right. It's funny. I did a, a talk with Roger Levin and he talked about the four, four st- entrepreneurial stages. And, and I, I'm guessing you're probably in that fourth stage, uh, which is fascinating, but let's talk about how you got there. So yeah. you moved back to Cleveland 2007 and no problem with licensure, I'm assuming, but right. That was easy. So now did you go into, did you, so you were prison dentist, you said for six months, right? Yep. In Cleveland. Yep. That whole time, are yep. you now yep. looking for your business or no? No. So the prison was in, in Minneapolis. And, and okay, Fair- I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, and then um, moving back to Cleveland, I got a job, had a couple different jobs. I, I worked for a handful of Medicaid practices. I think that's the easiest place that you can get a job and, and really um, cut your teeth, uh, pun uh-huh. intended. Um, and then... Um, I had a job filling in for a, a dentist that unfortunately passed away suddenly until they just helping them until they were able to sure. find by the office. Um, and it, now, like, were they, were they approaching you about maybe you want to buy this? Anything? Um, 
I think they mentioned something. It was too far of a drive for me. I wasn't interested at the time. And they had actually, I had a practice broker that was looking for me. And, and that he's the one that kind of introduced me to that job and said, we're still, you know, marketing. It might not be the best fit for you, but at least, you know, listen, maybe it's a 45 minute drive, but um, you know, that's something that uh, we'll make some money. Exactly. Exactly. And, and all these things, it was just, I look back, every single place that I was at was a learning opportunity. Every right. single, I, I didn't say, hey, listen, this is a place for me to make money. The right. money was a side point. It was all places for me to grow and to learn. You wouldn't be where you are today. This is my feeling. I'm not where I'm at today without all those other steps along the way. And I wouldn't change a thing. A hundred percent. I, I uh, appreciate it. all happened for a reason, man. Exactly. So, so while you're there, while you're, while you're subbing, we'll call it substituting. Yeah, uh, or filling yeah. in, probably a better way to use it, filling in. Were you in your broker heavily looking for a practice? And did you give him real strong parameters of what you were looking for? Yep. I, I told him I wanted, I mean, I wasn't set on saying that I need a fee-for-service ser- practice. I kind of felt like that would be narrowing my um, my fields okay. too much. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted an office, and I, I give this advice to, to people all the time that are buying an office. An office at that point in time that was doing probably – um, three quarters of a million dollars in revenue. I think too many times doctors are looking for offices saying, hey, I don't know if I can handle that. I want to buy an office that's doing only like, you know, $400,000 a year. And, and just you set yourself back as far as growth so far that you have to climb so much from that, that it just, I, I don't think it's a good buy, honestly. And, and- funny. That's, that's exactly what Drew said from the CFO on the podcast we just released the other day. He talked specifically, that's, that was his specific advice for that was, you just, you just said it exactly in your own words, the same thing. Right. Which is I- interesting. Yeah. So, so, so you, so that's what you were looking for was something so- about three quarters of a million. Exactly. So that's what I was looking for. And the broker, you know, I kind of looked at it a couple offices and and I didn't find anything that, um, you know, really um, was interesting to me. And then uh, just somebody from synagogue and it's just uh, advice I'd give people. Talk to everybody. Let everybody know what your intentions are, because you never know where never that know. come from. So it was a guy yeah. that owns a guy that owns a printing company said, Hey, I have uh, a doctor that um, does his printing with me. Maybe give him a call. And um, I called him up and he was kind of on the fence, not so interested. Maybe he's going to sell, maybe not. And um, I I think he really wanted to vet me. It was about, it, it took almost a year. I think I met him pretty early, but it took quite a while for him to decide that I was the right guy to buy the practice because I think that the better practices, they're not looking for top dollar. They're looking to find the right person to take over um, their patients. And and um, and I appreciated that. I mean, I think that when that time comes for me, um, you know, I t- tease my patients, I'll be around for the next 25 years, um, that, um, you know, um, I'm also going to look for somebody, not necessarily the most money, but somebody that's going to, I feel, take care of my patients in the same, you know, care that I'm giving them. Um, very appealing to try to sell to a DSO, but then you wonder, what am I doing to all these patients that I've cared for uh, all these years? So right. I think he really felt that. And um, he was he had an excellent reputation, Dr. Arnie Rosenthal, rest in peace. Um, he, he had a great reputation around town, um, just being a, a 
an amazing dentist. And um, it, for me, it was very, very big shoes to fill. And um, so finally, uh, he, he agreed that I was the right person. Um, I, I ended up buying his office. Uh, it was actually not with the broker. It was actually just... I, I was going to ask you that because you did all this on your own. Now, at this point, you should be outside of the broker, right? Correct. The broker yeah. didn't anything to do with it. The broker, I gave the broker and the broker did not get a fee for it. I think maybe I paid him $5,000. I'm not exactly sure um, at the time just to look over the numbers for me to say, because this is my first practice that I bought. You know, funny today, I could look at these things and, you know, make a decision pretty quickly. But back then, <laughs> all these, like maybe they taught it in dental school and I don't remember. I, you know, it was just, it, I, you know, it's just, it's a completely different uh, animal looking at the business side of things. And um, it was, um, uh, so I, I got the broker's help regarding that, but the broker did not make a commission because I ended up finding the practice myself. And, <laughs> and um, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody today about interest rates. My first loan, I think, was at like eight and a half percent, you know, and it's like, you know, kind of And my my most previous loan was at three percent. So, you know, interest rates change all over the place and they were both good buys, meaning like, you know, it just did all depends on the time. So it like advice to anybody now that's looking, don't worry about the interest rate. You just look about, you know, cash flow. I think that's the important thing to look at, you know, end of the day. But um, yeah, yeah always, to me, it always comes down to net. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So he um, uh, he stuck around with me um, part time for about a year. Um, and then uh, I was off my own. The hard part was I bought, if you kind of do the math, I bought my practice in uh, Jan- July of 2008. And shortly thereafter, we had the market crash and fee for service practices did not fare well during that time. And I think that was honestly the biggest blessing I could have had because it really got me to say, I can't just do dentistry and let the business come to me. I have to focus and learn this business. I have to learn, you know, how um, to run an efficient, uh, an efficient operation and stuff. And, um, you know, where we started off with maybe $750,000 gross, we ended up, I think two years later being at around, I think our lowest point was 590. So um, only way I was able to still profit was really make cuts and, 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 you know, become more efficient and stuff. But that learned, taught me how to be a little bit lean as far as running a business. Um, And, and we obviously only grew up from that point, but um, it's, and I joke when I look at what the problems are today, as far as staffing and, and the challenges, revenue, knock on wood, thank God is not the problem. Income is not the problem right now. The problem is being able to fill the need. I much rather have today's problem than 2008 problem. That that was problem of having just even revenue coming in. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm feeling the challenges today. I'm always saying at least it wasn't then. Do you want to share with some, like our, our listeners like what you ended up paying for the practice at that time? Yeah, sure. I paid $540,000 for the practice. Um, 540 that, for a 750 gross. Do you know what the for, net was at the time? What his net was? 270, 300? Just, I think 270. I, I was about to say, I think 270 was the number of net. Yes, you paid 2x, 2x net in a, in a yeah. popular area, which is yeah, exactly. not unreasonable. Yeah. No, not unreasonable at all. And and that's another big thing is that kind of like, I really wanted to pay 500. The bank wanted to only lend me 500. I ended up at the end of the day having to come up with $40,000 on my own, which I did. 
And um, the and I think the moral of the story is don't let forty thousand dollars make or break a deal. Like yep. I mean, come on, don't it's lose like, it. Don't lose it for the amount of. Uh, and you figured out, amortize it over 10 years, call 5%. Maybe it's $50 a month. You're going to lose a deal for $50 a month. Exactly. I think too many people lose a deal because they're too focused on, well, that that's 10% more than I wanted to pay. That's pennies at the end of the day. And think about the lost opportunity. It would have taken me another 12 months to find an office. And maybe then I would have found the perfect office. I, I would have just lost a year of of growth and revenue and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you're, you're, it's hard to find the ideal practice. It right. just question is, is that is, is, you know, a bad deal or not? I think in every negotiation I find, at least my personal experience has been, there's, you, you always pay a little bit more than you wanted to. And the other, and the other person thinks they got a little bit less than they should have. Yep. And then in the end, everybody compromised just a little bit and it's going to work out. You exactly. Know? If one person thinks, "Oh, I got the best of that one," and the other person feels they got abused, it's it's not a good. It's not a I good. Mean, look, sit. You're still the biggest thing you're buying is goodwill, and if you yeah. have kind of screwed over the, the the buying doctor, you're gonna lose out on that goodwill. I mean, to me, right. that's the most important. So, so what kind of practice did you end up getting? Was was it um, fully functioning? Did you have to invest a lot of money into it? What was what was your first steps when you got a hold of that thing? And that's yours. Very mature, fully functioning, ready to go. You know, there, there's really not much I had to do. The The biggest problem I had um, is, is that just getting the staff to buy into me, me being right. a, I'm a, I don't know, how old was I, 30 years old? And right. and there were Dr. 70, like, you know, who's this little punk kid that's, you know, going to now be our boss? And, and I can't tell you how many times the line was said, well, that's not the way Arnie did it. That's not the way Arnie did it. And, um, you know, in the beginning I'd always fold and then it kind of got to, you know, takes maturity. It's not something that comes right away where, okay, well, you know, this is the way I'm doing it. And you got to be delicate because you can't get rid of your staff because really the goodwill is with them. You know, if, if you get rid of your front desk person and now the, you know, patients that really don't know you are, you know, not seeing Susie that was there forever, where's Susie? they're going to look for another dentist and stuff. So you really need to kind of placate those people. And it's, it's a balancing act. Let me give that statement one more time. The real goodwill is with them. Correct. And, and it's interesting. You got, you got, you got your feet, both feet on the ground, man. I'm enjoying this. So, so you, so you get into this and did you have any help coaching consulting? Did you have any help getting you to that point where at some point you said, I, I have to, I've got to put my hand, my fingerprints on this. I've got to say, this is how we're going to do it. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately I didn't. I mean, I, I did all this by yourself all, all by myself. I mean, you know, talked a little bit with my dad. Um, I think that, you know, just as far as business wise, he was helped. I felt when I came to Cleveland at that time, there were not a lot of dentists my age that were there. I was one of the youngest one. You know, so that's your, that's your selling point. You're young. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that that was the whole thing. I was looking at the landscape, and I'm like, I am, you know, the, one of the younger dentists around. There's not a lot of people moving to Cleveland. I mean, it was really a blue ocean for me, where like I knew that I was going to be able to grow with not a lot of um, 
fresh blood um, coming in. Um, Cleveland's become a little bit more of a destination now. Um, a lot more people are moving back here um, for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, back when I moved in 2008, it just it wasn't the most popular place to, to move if you were a dentist. Okay, so... So we're we're at about 2010ish right about now yeah. or 2009 right Say 2009 2010 I I had to make some cuts that was I think the hardest day in my office and and really the, the one day where I actually shed tears was I had to fire employees um I had to fire long-term employees because of the recession we were just not making money I did not need two FDAs my the Dr. Rosenthal had two FDAs because he didn't at that point in his life did not want to fill any teeth. And um, I had to, you know, let somebody go. I cut everybody's pay by 10%. That was a very, very tough day. And um, those are some tough conversations. Oh, it was very hard. And again, these people are, you know, in, in their 50s, you know, and and I he, and here I am 30. It's like, it, it just was not easy. And, uh, you know, but look, again, it's one of those things where it's, it, I, if I made those, if I didn't make those decisions, nobody would have a job. And I think that's the way the conversation went is that, look, one person is going and the rest of us are taking pay cuts, but guess what? All of you are maybe losing 10%. I'm losing a lot more just on revenue coming in. And, and hopefully we're going to work through this, get there where all of you are going to get your money back. And, and we're going to be better at the, at the end of the day. And uh, it was just tough. But again, it was, you know, as you remember, layoffs were going left and right everywhere. This is not unique to our business. This is something that was going all over the place. So, uh, you know, let's hope we don't get there again. You know, we don't know what the next 12 months is going to be. But um, this is something that was not unique to, to uh, my office. And, and we ended up, um, you know, kind of getting through it. Um, the next big thing is, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned to you was, when I bought the office, the, the office was um, two sides. And this is also a blessing. Um, it was two sides. We walked into a common reception room and there was um, one side was my office and another side was another senior doctor. He was about 72 at the time. Um, when I signed the, um, uh, the loan documents, the bank made me have a five-year lease. The guy, 72, did not want to sign a five-year lease. So um, I was the only one on the lease. But um, uh, I had him sign a right of first refusal. Um, the attorney that I had that wrote that right of first refusal paperwork um, did probably the most awful job. Um, I, I could have had my um, ninth grade uh, you know, son write a better um, contract, um, and he just reneged on it. He, he ended up um, uh, selling it to a third party, uh, partly, again, going back to staff buy-in. My staff, I had some staff that were bad-mouthing me to um, to his staff. Remember, we were sharing a suite. So they were like, we don't like Paul because of this. We don't like Paul because of that. And that kind of got to him. And he's like, well, I don't feel that you're the right doctor to sell my practice to. And if he, he felt the opportunity was to kind of get out of that um, uh, right of first refusal. So um, he ended up selling to somebody else. It stuck me with a double the lease payment of what I'm doing revenue for. So I no, had wait, about- wait, wait. He sold it. So didn't the new owner come in and pay their half of the rent? No, the new owner moved to brought it, it his into his dad's practice. So the new owner um, basically bought gotcha. it, moved in with his dad, and bought. So moved now in. you got double the space, exactly double the cost, but half of the size filled in. 
So, so here I am saying, well, you know, we've got to think of a solution. So I decided to burn the candle at a couple ends. I said, I need to really ramp up marketing. I need to really get more patients in the door. And let me try to look for a practice to acquire to be able to put in there as well. So um, that's when I started doing radio advertising, which, um, you know, I, I just spend a lot of time in the car. I like to listen to AM radio. And um, I particularly started with um, news, news sports talk radio, um, advertising with them. And the advertising, and this is very, very important, was not with um, just kind of a jingle and, a, and, a, and an, a radio spot. It was having an endorser. And the radio host for the morning drive show um, started coming to my practice as a patient. And he, in the morning uh, radio show, would say, let me talk to you about my dentist, Dr. Paul Mickley. And he'd do his 30-second spot and talking about how he loves coming to my office. Um, and it just drove patients in the door. Um, we ended up um, moving, which was a huge success story, um, uh, working together with ESPN Cleveland and uh, working with Sports Talk Radio. Um, that has just been phenomenal. I, I can't even begin to say thanks to those guys for, for everything they do. Um, and, and when I realized years later, what's the common denominator is that when you're listening to uh, sports talk or, or news talk, you're listening to the opinions of the host and you value the opinions of the host. So when they start endorsing a product, you value that opinion as well. So I won't market with anybody that is not a patient. If they want to market with me, they have to become a patient and come to my office and speak to the about the office. Now what happens is they say, next week I got a, an appointment at Dr. Mickley's office. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I've gotten all these text reminders. So that's really great about reminding me about my appointment. And they really speak on small points and stuff like that. So that was one end driving patients in there that did really well on the other end i was just kind of looking for offices and and a lot of things are just you know some things are just luck in life and and you know i like to use the hebrew term mazel and uh you know it just uh, i ended up meeting a a phenomenal you know gem of a person uh, um uh stuart katz um who i ended up buying his office um he ended up working with me i think for seven years just retired recently and um uh, um, he moved into that space and it was just kind of the perfect size, um, to be in there. We worked together. He was able to kind of, um, now not feel the responsibility of ownership of the practice. Didn't want to retire yet. He's still a good dentist, but didn't want to have to deal with ownership. For me, I was very excited about saying, Hey, listen, let me do the ownership part of it. That's not a problem. And, um, and really kind of grew from there. And I liked the model and I kind of years later did that a number of times. Um, so, by, so you bought the practice yep. that you then cannibalized, right? So that, that became, Correct. right. So when, did, you, did you change we, the name of the practice at that point or did you keep it? Yeah. So I, because Mickley, as you kind of, um, you know, were able to tell early on is, um, easy to pronounce, hard to spell and hard to read. So I called my practice Beachwood Dental. Um, it's the suburb of Cleveland is Beachwood. It's a more uh, affluent suburb. And so um, the, the name is uh, Beachwood Dental. And so um, when he came into my office, it was kind of like, I'm joining Beachwood Dental. We're going to be working together. And gotcha. so um, it's kind of like a universal name. Um, our practice grew at that point in time. Maybe I was doing, I can't remember, maybe 600 myself. Um, he was maybe doing about... Um, uh, 600. So maybe I was doing 700 at the time. And so we ended up doing about 1.4, 1.5, um, uh, running together. We did that for a number of years. 
I ended up buying um, another practice with uh, two doctors that was doing, and I can't remember the year, but um, you know, uh, let's say about five years ago, maybe four years ago, that was doing another um, $600,000 merged that. Um, and then my big leap was, um, was during COVID. So um, you brought, now you brought these other two practices into your physical plant, correct? Correct. So at this point, do you have four doctors there? You and the two that you bought and I, the one, uh, three that you bought, three doctors? Or, right. It was me and then three other doctors. Right. Okay. And, um, and then again, the, the senior doctors more a little bit part-time, you know, kind of, you know, filling out the days. We had a total of nine rooms between all the, um, all the, um, sure. in the whole suite. So there was room for us. But, uh, you know, I kind of liked it a little bit tight. And I have to say, I love the camaraderie of, of talking to the other doctors. That's, that's so nice not to be on an island by yourself and stuff. Nothing like it. Nothing yeah. else like it. And, right. um, yeah, so, so we got to COVID and, um, uh, it, you know, kind of that shutdown. And um, I remember sitting with a buddy of mine, uh, you know, everybody got these small bubbles, you know, that they kind of said, okay, sure. these are that we're just going to do COVID together and stuff. And, and he's a big real estate guy, nothing to do with dentistry. And we were just brainstorming and saying, okay, how can we maximize on this opportunity? What, what are certain opportunities now that we both have in our businesses? And um, him being in real estate kind of advised me, said, listen, if you're looking for a new space in your building now or anywhere, real estate is really cheap now because nobody's looking to rent space. Everybody's looking to kind of be at home and stuff. Everybody's looking and, to get out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's, uh, maybe painful to remember, but, um, running a practice during that time was not easy either. You know, you mm -hmm. had mute me from staff. Staff was looking to leave and, and nobody wanted to work and stuff like that. So I kind of took the opportunity. I'm in an office building with, there's maybe about five, six other dentists in there. Um, and I took the opportunity to negotiate a sweetheart deal with, um, with a landlord of um, uh, getting um, significantly more space. I think I'm now at about 75, 7,800 square feet. Um, um, what'd you have before? About three? About, about three, you know, 35. Yeah. Um, and then um, talked to two doctors in the building that said that they would be willing to sell their practices to me and merge together with me. And so two, two practices, right? Not just two doc, two different practices, two different practices in the building. And so, so they're going to come in and join you just like the other ones have as well. Exactly. So Beachwood, Beachwood Dental has now become one, two, three more, four more practices in with you. Correct. So then Good. we went, okay, great. We went revenue of about um, 1.5 to, you know, three and a half, four. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, but that also really gave us the opportunity to, um, you know, it has its challenges, but really to have an infrastructure of where we have more defined roles up top, where I have a dedicated COO. I have one person that's in charge of the staff. She really, I, I'm not, I joke with my staff. I'm not your boss. I'm just the owner of the practice. Your boss is Sonia. She, you know, runs the, the the practice. You can talk to me. I'm more than happy to listen. My door is open to kind of, you know, be your ear. But, um, you know, I, I won't make any decisions as far as hiring or firing, giving raises or anything like that. That was another thing, learning how not how to micromanage and really have to, you know, have faith and let, you know, the other people make the successes or mistakes and stuff like that. And just kind of learn to, 
gentle corrections versus micromanaging. Otherwise, you lose staff. You lose your staff. Um, let let, we, let me ask you this now. As we're going on this journey, I, I want you to to color in some background for everybody. So, your original practice, you had to make a cut. You had to cut a, a dental assistant. What was your staff like at that point? You had how many front desks? I had two front desks. Two front desks. How many hygienists? Yeah, I had three hygienists, I think two full-time, one part-time. All right, and so I, two and a half. There's four and a half people. And, and then one dental assistant. One. So you're at five and a half plus yourself. Correct. Now, when you added the other doctor, the first doctor that came in, what did your staff grow to? We added an assistant. We added a hygienist. And we added a front desk person that came along so, with the so now you're eight and a half and you've doubled your, you've doubled your revenue essentially, right? Correct. Well, you said, yeah, you didn't double your staff. You didn't have to at that right. point. Right. Okay. So talk, talk, just now let's morph to where we're at today. Yeah. No, at this point, right. Let's go, let's get to this point now where you're at yeah. 3.5 million. What does your team look like? And how did you, at what point did you make the decision? Listen, I've got to have an organizational chart. I've got to have defined roles. I got to hire these people. I got to train these. How how did you t- show us what that looked like? Because it doesn't happen overnight, and I I know it doesn't because we've gone through the same growing pains. Talk about how that whole process happened. So I mean, look, a lot of it is a blessing just with my um, my managerial team on top. I mean, I, I give so much credit to. Um, Sonia, who was hired originally as my office manager, but now is kind of COO. Um, she just, when did you, when did you bring her in? I brought her in, um, seven years ago, about at that, at that point in time, I had not acquired my third practice. I had only second practice, um, I knew that I needed an office manager at that point in time. I got to a point where, you know, that, that role needed to be mm-hmm. filled. Um, and, and it was unique to me because that was the first time that I had somebody where her office was not at the front desk, um, mm-hmm. where, where she, you know, she could fill in front desk if she needed to, but that was not her role. Um, she paid bills. She did compliance. She did, you know, kind yeah. of like she was mm-hmm. a utility player, but, um, did not um, uh, did not answer phones and and greet did you people. hire her from outside or did you hire her from within? I hired her from outside. Within is interesting. I, I somebody gave me this piece of advice. You might have a great dental assistant that you say, "Hey, listen, you know what? I'd love to promote you for office manager." But a great dental assistant doesn't mean they're going to be a great office yeah. manager. No, a lot of people make that same mistake because you have a certain level of trust because you exactly. work side by side with them. Yeah, exactly. But, but see, the fun part is you're, you're practicing today, but your mind is on what's going on tomorrow. You're a big picture person, but you have yeah. to be. So yeah. you have to, you have to, at certain points, you have to be overstaffed. You have to, you right. have to be ready to accept because you can't just bring another practice in and not be ready to handle that influx. Exactly. Growth is never linear. There's always these, you know, as you kind of talking about with Roger Levin, the phases of growth. I know that um, uh, um, I'm going to forget his name, but there's somebody else that writes and he's done a couple articles as far as the the, the pyramids of a DSO, like the, the, the levels of growth of a DSO. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, like I think that a, a one to two locations is easy. 
three locations is maybe not a big deal. Once you get to four or five, that's a different animal. And then you get maybe to 10 is a different animal. And, and you just have to understand as you grow, you know, you're, you're dealing with different things completely. And um, I, I think that, again, now that we have, you know, 20 something employees, it's very different than my five person office day um, in some ways better, in some ways harder. And stuff. Is that where you're at now? You're at 20? Well, I think 20, 21 employees, something like that. I would have said more. Okay. So 21 employees. What? And, what? And, and and your office space is almost tripled, well, well, two and a half times, right? From 3,700. So two and a half times. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have how many providers now? How many doctors? So right now, that's part of the challenge that I have. I have. Um, uh, me and another, one of the senior doctors uh, full time. One of the senior doctors just switched to part time. Um, mm-hmm. um, I had tapering a tapering out. Huh? They're tapering out. Exactly. And then I had a younger associate that just went on a maternity leave that is most likely not going to be returning um, okay. after. So, and and I'm just have trouble trouble trying to find a replacement doctor. Um, it just seems that um, and and. Again, it's a lot of this is is luck and, and just timing and stuff like that. I've had some good candidates come through, and I just think that a lot of the younger dentists that are looking to be associates are just looking for it's it's the Goldilocks thing. They're looking for something that's just right, and so they might say, "This is the perfect practice I want to look at that I want," but you guys are a thirty minute drive, and I want something that's fifteen minutes drive away, or mm-hmm. it's the perfect practice, but I want. 34% and you're offering 30 or 32%, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, you know, have you, have you put together an entire like training manual training package to, to onboard that next doc? Have you, have you, uh, I, I have not. And that's probably something that, you know, I'm going to try to look at. That's something that we're not at that point yet. I mean, I guess when I'm looking for, for a doctor, the biggest thing I'm looking for is, two things commitment to quality of care i think is number one and they've got to have a good personality because the dentistry i can teach i can mentor that the um the the commitment to quality and the personality is a lot harder to teach Mm -hmm. so it's hard to quantify it too when you say good personality that's so subjective your 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 definition of a good personality my definition of a good personality can be so different right like david when I interviewed David Yang, he says, when you hired an assistant, you have to be able to take, take, I think, take abuse or something like that. And I, and I said, and I made him repeat, I think, but what he meant was he's going to bust their chops, you know, right. and he, he fully expects it back. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I think that happens in our office, but I would be really hard pressed to ever say that, you know, right. Like, I'll take some guts. But uh, so, so I think that's, that's always a challenge, right? Making things objective, not subjective. Correct. You know? I mean, uh, I, you know, when I'm like to kind of define that more good personality, you just have to be a likable person. I mean, I think yeah. so much you can have this great dentist, but if they're very kind of like, you know, just a flat personality or flat affect, they can be great technician, but like yeah. it's hard for patients to accept treatment plans from that type of person. Yeah. You got to be able to bond there. I mean, you got to have, you got, you got to be nice. You got to. You got to have some, you have to project some type of personality. And and going, going back to fee for service practice, it's like, you know, people are paying more and and there's something that they're paying more for. 
and and if it's not on cost, they want to know that they have a doctor that they feel that they can connect with. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. I fully agree. So right now, what do you think you could you could push on or or pass down to a younger dentist? What are some of the things that you would advise someone? Maybe someone that's that's got a practice and they're looking to add a add, a, add another location or add another office. Because I did it the dumb way. I added locations. That is not the smart way. The smart way is to add it into one office. Right. Because you're not doubling and tripling your overhead across the board. So I've never been the brightest guy. So how how does that work for you? And what would some of the advice you be for you you would give for that dentist that may be toying with that idea in their head? Right. So I, I would say, as you kind of pointed out, I, I think that I also had the idea of maybe let me do multiple locations and stuff. And I realized that keeping everything under one roof is a better idea. Um, you can run a lot leaner as far as staff wise. You know, if you have a front desk person that's calling off and you have two locations and now one location doesn't have a front desk at all, that's a problem. If you have two front desk people at a larger location and one front desk person calls off, you can still manage, you know, and, and I think that's, um, you know, that's something as far as growing, as far as one location is better than growing in multiple locations. Um, not saying that multiple locations, there's anything wrong with it. Just understand the challenges that are involved with that. Um, 100% I think, right. I, I think getting in that same vein, I think across the board, talking universally, the biggest is one of the biggest challenges today is staffing. I think staffing is really, really hard. Um, I think that, um, it, you know, I, I apologize to all the sub 30 year olds out there, but I think that I'm reluctant to hire somebody that's younger than 30 because I just feel that like if they see a squirrel running by with another job, they're going to chase after that squirrel. So it's like that there's just not much of a commitment to saying, hey, this is my job. This is where I want to stay, you know, a little bit more long term. If I have issues, let me talk over with the owner or with, the, or with my manager and stuff like that and work these things out as opposed to just quickly, you know, jumping ship and, and trying to find something else. So well, you, you mean like a college athlete who's not happy with their playing time? They just enter the transfer portal tomorrow? It's <laughs> something like that maybe someone that even yeah. an ohio state buckeye even in a buckeye might yeah. become a syracuse orangeman because it, they transfer out exactly. and i find it funny because the opening weekend of football college football was this weekend and i watched two games and i can't tell you how many players yeah that's this is so-and-so he's from Ole miss and here's this and this is their wide receiver and he, he's in here from rutgers the transfer portal has changed the landscape of everything, but I think I think you're talking about the same trait, in my opinion. And it it just it's not about dollars. I don't think are going to make that big of a difference. I mean, I think yes, we're paying a lot more. I mean, like what we're paying now for hygienists and yes. and kind of like I'd never assume that. And I kind of feel with the hygienists, like I tell my existing stuff, I don't pay the most, and I tell my staff you will find more money elsewhere. But my goal is to give you the best work environment. And mm -hmm. that means that if you need, if you feel your scalers are not good, let's go buy new ones. Much cheaper to buy a whole set of new scalers than to pay somebody an extra $3 an hour. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, that's value. I had one uh, employee leave for a couple of bucks more. Um, and, uh, she, through the grapevine, I've heard, is not happy with her new position. 
because again, the work environment is not the same. And I think that's really important to make a work environment. I think people are looking for flexibility and stuff. So I think that, you know, the challenges of a new doctor are going to see, communicate with your staff, make them want to stay there, have them, if they have reservations, kind of try to have that open door that they can communicate with you because you can't do it all on your own. Like, you know, and, and you don't want to be the last man standing. I, I think that that's so important today, which is unique today, you know, in 2008, going back then, you know, you could pay pennies and get as many employees as you wanted. Um, that's not the case today. Today we have the opposite problem. And, um, you know, the, the advantage we have as a fee for service practice is that we have the ability to raise our fees, uh, accordingly. Um, what I do is I'll keep my hygiene fees, um, very reasonable because I think patients are a lot more sensitive to hygiene fees, but I've never had a patient that said to me, um, you know what? You wanted me to do a crown and crown to build up is $2,200. Like I'm going to go shop that around. If they've been my patient for a while and they're happy with their hygiene fees, they're not shopping around the crown or the implant or whatever it is that they do. So those are the fees that I'll kind of make up the difference of higher salaries, higher prices on supplies and stuff like that. I think that's a, a good piece of advice for, for doctors that are fee for service. If you're insurance driven, I just don't know how you're able to manage. They, they, Let me ask you a question. Because you, we've talked about you've adding all these other practices. Was every one of those practices a fee for service practice? Yes. Okay, so that that transition then's a little smoother, but there had to be some variations in the fee schedules. Correct. Their fee schedules are different. Again, it was something where we changed their hygiene fees slowly. You know, to to normalize those. Whether you know, I mean, I didn't want to lower anybody's hygiene fees, but either eyes ours coming up to them. We had different fee schedules based on the doctors, and and most practice management softwares will have that. Um, where, where you, you had do- multiple fee schedules for a period of time. Correct. And, um, but, um, but the, the fees that are not hygiene fees are really easy to change relatively quickly because again, patients just don't ask, you know, well, you know, this crown that like, how often are you doing crowns on patients or fillings on patients and stuff like that? I, you know, it's like, not, they're going to say, you know, well, last year I paid this. I mean, especially today with inflation, I think it's a really easy thing to mask and to say, look, all our supplies are going up. All, you know, uh, everything's going up as far as costs. No, true. You have to expect that dentistry is going to go up too. It's just a fact. It's all true. It's all true. Yeah. You know, how about um, the presentation of the, of the, the dental work? Now we're, because there's always challenges when you incorporate other practices because they have their routine, they have their set. But you have systems in place or else you wouldn't be adding three, four, five offices. So when you move those into your systems, how do you transition that patient? So that patient who usually the doc says, yeah, schedule a couple fillings in the crown. All right, they go up and they schedule and there's nothing. And you say, this is what we'd like to see you do. Here's your treatment plan. These are the costs associated. Here's your insurance coverage. Here's what you're covered, your, your payment's going to be. How did you handle that transition to minimize the ruffle to the right. patient? Very, very difficult. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it's not easy. I think that it's hard for the patients, equally as hard for the staff that's come on. They, they are so used to doing things the way that they were doing it. And some staff just does not stick around. Some staff is just, you know, they, they just say, well, I'm not, com- I'm not going along on this ride. And it's interesting. Yeah. They rather switch to a different office with completely new systems in another office 
then stay in your office that has different systems, but they get to have the same doctor and the same patients. It's, you know, kind of a little funny how that works that way. But um, I think it's communication where when we are acquiring an office, we're going to say, we're going to try to keep things as much as possible. But one thing I can promise you is that there's got to be change. It's not going to be the same. Um, and, and we'll try to work through those as a team. And we're going to listen. We're going to try to find best practices from all the offices, meaning mm -hmm. between the offices that I've acquired, we've learned from each one. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's incorporate that into our office and stuff. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, you just kind of pick the best systems from everything. Patients, how much I, time? How, how much time did you spend outside of dental patient care with these teams and these staffs and bringing everybody on board with your policies and, and your principles? So personally, almost nothing because I have staff that does that. So, um, but my team, I think, spent you know days. I mean, like sometimes we'd close off. Uh, we in the beginning we closed. I think a whole week where we said we're a whole week, we're going to, as we merge all together into one location, we're going to spend an entire week just kind of going through systems and stuff like that and, and working that through. And then from that, there were like half days off where we did half days. We're kind of going through stuff. Um, it's just a matter of verbiage and talking to things and, and just because patients are going to get upset. Like we had between the three offices, it was kind of interesting. We had one office that said, um, 100% of payment is due at the time of service, and the insurance is going to send you a check. The other office said, we don't take anything today, and we'll just bill you, and we'll just balance bill you. And then um, our office kind of had a hybrid where we said, well, we're going to estimate where your insurance is going to pay. You pay whatever it is, and then we'll kind of you know, square up once the insurance pays and stuff like that, either, you know, give you a check or have a credit or, um, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it was What's your policy now? What's your our policy, policy now? Our policy is, is the middle of the road. I think that we don't like to ask patients for everything in full and, um, and, and have the insurance pay. I mean, it would be nice, but again, like some insurances, especially they're very good at, you know, paying close to 100% of hygiene stuff. So it's like to say, let's collect 100% of hygiene and then all of a sudden have to issue a check back to them, I think is a little bit much. So we kind of do the hybrid where what we're doing right now is we have an estimate of what insurance is going to pay. We collect um, what the difference is and then we square up when insurance ends up paying. So um, curious, what do you do? Do you keep credit card on file for that just to kind of clean up the billing and that stuff or no? Um, we have not kept the credit card on file. Um, I, I, I think that again, I, I, I have my opinions. I would love to keep a credit card on file. Um, uh, I kind of got vetoed by the rest of my staff where they feel that patients are just not going to be happy to have a credit card on file. So, um, that's, that's something that I, I, if I push too much on that stuff and then there's pushback, the problem is, is that they're the ones that have to deal with it, not me. And so I kind of, you know, I've learned to say, hey, listen, you know, this is my suggestion. But at the end of the day, what I really care about is what is their collection rate? As long as we're close to, you know, 100% collections, I don't care how you do it. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah I get you. No, I, to answer your question, we do exactly the same thing. With, with COVID, we started to get more insurance uh, credit cards on file to handle those little, those little uh, nuisance balances, you know, and we would say, you know, we'll submit to insurance today, you know, and, and what we do is if we have their credit card on file, when the payment comes in, we charge the credit card, the other part, and it's, it's seamless, you know, 
So in, in essence, it tells a person, listen, we're not going to collect the copayment today. We'll co- we'll get the copayment when it's accurate because then we have the insurance check in. Because right. I don't care how good your 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 um your software is, it doesn't get the it doesn't get the damn it's copayment it, right. It's there's too many factors. It's just never right. Inaccurate. It's 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 a bane of my existence, and and it's probably the number one complaint we have from patients is your estimates in the computer are not are not accurate. Oh. And you're absolutely right. So sometimes we're zeroing it out. We're trying to do whatever we can. To, to, you know, because we're 100% transparent, right? Just like I'm sure you are. Here's the fees. Here's what it's going to be. And no surprises, you know? So that's what we do. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it's 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 always a challenge. And, and that's the thing, kind of also going to, to fee for service. It's like, you know, especially with new patients when they call up, like, you know, that that's a lot of coaching that we've had to do with staff in the front. It's like, do you accept my insurance? The answer always is, or pretty much always is yes, unless it's a state insurance or a, um, or a kind of a capitation plan or HMO or something like that, because patients have no idea what in-network is, out-of-network is. They just right. don't understand. And so, you know, um, when in the past we would say, no, we're, we don't accept insurances or we're out of network and stuff like that, yeah. we just, new patients wouldn't come. And um, I think that patients really, when you say, yes, we accept our, your insurance, um, we just balance bill whatever insurance doesn't pay. I think that they're most, I would say, I think we did the number a while ago and probably around 60, 70% of my patients have insurance, even mm-hmm. though we're fee majority mm-hmm. of our have dental insurance. So, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, it's not we, the enemy, that's for sure. No. no. Um, yeah. you know, just handle it right. You got a verbal skills, you got to handle it right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, that's kind of how we do as far as, um, you know, but there's a lot of blending. I mean, the, the doctors, it's hard for them to do different things. You know, when they come in, I think that anybody that's doing an acquisition needs to understand that it's going to be learning curve for the, for the doctor that's come in. They've yeah. done in like for 40 years, a specific way, you know, for, to, to tell them, okay, now in the, in the twilight of your career, you're going to have to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, and you know how dentists are creatures that have it. Like I reach to my right three inches, there's my Toffelmeyer. Now I got to reach a, a, a six inches. Oh. Exactly. Oh. I, I remember I was an associate, and we, we had a, a dental ruler for for our for endo, and it was a double sided ruler, right? And something happened. We lost one. I said, "Well, just take the ruler and cut it in half, and then we'll have two of them." You know, and and I remember, and it was just it seemed so simple. And 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 the one doc says, "You know." Let me just share something with you. We are used to, I put my hand in the middle and I like to have the ruler on both sides. And I was like, really? Like, <laughs> are we at the point where the toilet paper has to roll the same way too? I mean, where, where are we at with this? You know, but his point was it's a creature, a habit to the nth degree. So I, I get it. Cause I've, I've been in that role. I've had docs with us. That's retired. I know it. And the people who haven't lived it don't understand it, but I, right. I get it. Now yeah. what we all, have done and we, we've learned this is that it, we can't be so rigid like so for example um i schedule new patients for me I, I at least the way that i've kind of morphed into doing it now is that they're for it's an hour appointment um if the hygienist has time in their schedule to go to the hygienist if they if they don't then we do it in my schedule never never hygiene never profi on the first visit but the hygienist is always either in their chair or popping into my chair doing a perio chart. Um, whereas one of the doctors likes to do an hour and a half, really extensive comprehensive exam for their new patients and stuff. And so I 
you know, that's not something that, uh, you know, I would do, but I'm not going to necessarily change him and say, you have to do things my way. So it's, you know, I I give a little. That's good. You know, that people have the freedom to, you know, as long as, like you said, as long as what you are uncompromising on is the quality of the care and the relationship portion, because that's, those are the two things you talked about was, exactly, you know, personality. So in closing, any final pieces of advice for our listeners? I mean, I, I think the most important thing is, is that as dentistry goes on, you have to fundamentally love dentistry. If you love dentistry, um, everything else is just little bumps in the road. Um, you know, the, uh, because that I, every Monday or, you know, Tuesday, uh, you know, being the week that it is, um, morning, I love coming to work. Um, I, I love my team. I love my patients. Um, and I love doing dentistry. And, um, to, to me, that's, um, I think that's the fundamental. The business is always going to give you challenges. Um, the dentistry can give you challenges, but it's a matter of, you know, if you love what you do, you're, you're always going to be happy. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look at some of these doctors that I have that are, that have merged in and I say, I want you to retire at your convenience. I've taken away the business side of it, but you really love the dentistry. So keep on doing it as, as you want to. I have, um, the, the older, one of the senior doctors, he's, I think 74, 75 years old. Um, he's probably going to retire after I retire. So, I mean, he's, uh, I'm 45. So he's, he's, he's kind of like Methuselah and, and he'll probably work forever um, because he loves it. He loves what he does and, and he's healthy. He's got, you know, good mind and, you know, and I'd love to be in his shoes one day where, you know, I can take off when I want to take off and, and, you know, do what I want to do, but really love what I do every day. We have a lot of similarities. I, I, I try to do the same thing. I would like, because I would like, I think for myself, if that time comes for me, I would like that ability to say, you know, as long as I'm into it, still learning and active to kind of retire at, at, at my own pace and my own uh, qualms, you know, or, 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 or my own um, control, you know, I right. agree with that. So yeah. final question I got to ask you. Yes. You know, it's coming. <laughs> if you could go anywhere, any place, anytime to be with anyone or share time with, what would you do? Where would you go? Why would you go? Oh, geez. Um, hmm. So hard. Anytime in like in history. Anywhere. anywhere. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess just based on my roots, I mean, I'm going to be biblical. I'd, I'd love to meet Moses. I mean, like. I mean, and just see the, the the formation of of you know the Jewish people and stuff like that. I mean, I think that that would be you know incredible you know to kind of to see. I mean, I think that would be you know if I could pick anything, that's where it go. Perfect, perfect. I love it. You know, everybody's got a different answer, but it's been a, it's a lot of fun. You know, everybody goes in different directions. So right. Anyway, I appreciate it very much. So. Yeah, if people want to reach out to you, I will include um, in the, in the show notes your email. Yeah, email and even cell phone. Um, you can put my okay. cell phone. I, I I love sharing information um, because I think as much as I teach, I learn as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I my you do practice, the podcast learn a ton. Yeah, my 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 practice is focused on um, cosmetic dentistry and implant dentistry. I do a ton of surgery based on my background and stuff. So if, if anybody wants anybody, anything help with that, 
um, you know, how to incorporate in your practice, where to get continuing education, stuff like that. I'm definitely happy to share. Well, fantastic. Everybody take them up on it, right? That's Beachwood Dental, Dr. Mickley, M-I-K-H-L-I. Look him up. He's a great man. I appreciate everything. Thanks, Sonny. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee-for-Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.